This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So what is justice and what does justice look like for each individual who finds themselves in the court system? Roman O'Shea, good morning. Today we're looking at specific crimes or specific offenders and whether or not they need specific courts that understand more about them and the crime and maybe the reason why they offended. And in Victoria, we actually have more specialist courts than I realised. Yeah, more than I think most of us realise because the justice system, Rochelle, used to be very much a one-size-fits-all approach, didn't it? With this mentality really that, you know, you do the crime, you do the time. But now, depending on your circumstances or the crime itself, you might find yourself in, as you say, one of these specialist courts. So like the Koori Court for First Nations people, the Drug Court, the Family Violence Court, there are others too. Um, And I've seen them referred to as problem-solving courts Mm. or solutions-focused courts. And problem-solving and solutions-focused for that individual. And it puts emphasis on what is the outcome? You know, how can we create a positive outcome here as opposed to punishment? And it looks at underlying issues that the reasons why this person is in the justice system at the first place, rehabilitation, support, all of those things that hopefully then stop that particular person from ending up in prison. And we all know that once you're in prison and once you're in the prison system, that cycle of getting back out is really, really hard. And a lot of what we're going to learn about today with these specialist courts is that it's connecting people with the services that they probably should have been connected with a really long time ago. So today in the Conversation Hour, we're looking at the different types of specialist courts that we have here in Victoria. How do they work? Who can access them? And do we need more of them? Have you or someone you love been through a specialist court and what was your experience? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Bronwyn O'Shea joining you from ABC Wodonga. And today, Bron, we're looking at specialist courts, specialist courts, and we've seen them for decades now. We've seen the Koori Court, we've seen the Drug Court. Relatively recently, we've seen the Family Violence Court. And as we're going to discover today, there's a lot of other smaller specialist courts that I didn't even know existed that existed and one is ARC which is the Assessment and Referral Court. Now this is a a justice system and a specialist court that works with people that may be living with mental health concerns, disability, even dementia and one person who's just gone through 12 months of ARC as we said it's the Assessment and Referral Court is Phil. So Phil a warm welcome to the conversation hour. You've just done 12 months with ARC support A little bit of backstory for you. Growing up, you were exposed to violence, which led you to drug use and emotional and mental health difficulties that then led to depression, even things like PTSD and symptoms of ADHD. And as a result, you stole a car and you were facing three months in jail. But you ended up in a specialist court. You ended up in ARC. Tell us about those first moments of walking into ARC. How was it different what did they offer you uh hello um well when i started with arc program court it was um quite good actually like they it was explained to me that like if i 
you know, they ask me, do you plead guilty to your crime? And if you do, then, which I did, um, then you are qualified to get an ARC program. And the ARC program basically, instead of putting you in jail and leaving you in there for the, you know, the purpose of serving out your sentence, they pretty much, these are specialists like, like trying rehabilitation um, program where they basically treat you as an individual mm -hmm. and individually go through your case. Um, once I started with my social worker, her name was Anastasia, and uh, she basically, straight off the bat, like once you do a small questionnaire about a few things, just about your personality and that, once that's completed, then she, I was just asked blatantly, what is it that we can do or that you need or what do we have to do to help you to fix things and get your life on track and going in a positive direction? And um, I was sort of a little bit stumped at first because like usually when you go to social services, they tell you, you know, what things they can do for you and then you sort of choose out of your options. But ARC is different where like, they will do anything that you ask them to do. To help anything you. Anything you need to do, yeah, to help you. And, and, and what you know, sort of things were you able to then get support to do and, and support with, Phil? Um, like in the beginning, like I sort of was, I didn't really have any ID because I'd lost my licence and um, I didn't have a birth certificate. So I said, well, I need ID. So... She helped me get birth certificate, even though, like, you're supposed to have a certain criteria of, like, documents and stuff like that to present. I come up a little bit short, but because it's a court back program, like, they can bridge those gaps and make that happen. Mm. Um, like, that was the first thing. And you were given weekly counselling, is that right? Because, I mean, up until now, you probably hadn't had a lot of help or support. So to have a a weekly counsellor, how did that change, I guess, the idea of what the future looks like for you? Um, uh, speaking, like having weekly contact with my social worker, with, um, it's actually quite good because it's, it's, not, it's not a very long time, a week, especially when you've got 52 appointments in a row. And um, that was actually quite... Yeah, it was quite good because, like, you constantly, you know, like, you go over some some things to do for that week or whatever, or we'll try and set some goals or try and work towards achieving these goals. And it's just a constant, like, hi, how you, how'd you go this week? Did you manage to do these things? You know, I, yeah, I managed to contact, you know, these people mm. waiting to hear back from them. So it's just an ongoing thing where they just, supportive and they're constantly making sure that you're and doing okay. And having the same person as well so you get to form that relationship with them. How 12 months on, Phil, how has it changed your life? What, what, What's life look like for you now? Considering that 12 months ago you were facing three months in jail, what's life like for you now? Well, life's, very, life's going very well for me right now. Um, I'm living in a, in a good suburb. I have a nice car. I have my license back. I've completed my program, of course. Um, 
like 12 months ago, I was sort of living in my car and I was like basically homeless and sort of driving around without a license. But I mean, when you get to the point of like you're homeless and your license is taken from you anyway and you live in your car, like they don't have much choice, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, plus, like, you know, I also had my dog as well, like, so, you know. I, I did my best to abide by road rules whilst I was driving, but, you know, <laughs> And you're working now that, as well, aren't you? you got a job? Yeah. Yep, no, I'm working right. now. I'm into, I've um, taken up cabinet making. Uh, well done. Um, full-time. Um, yeah, so... It's a big turnaround, Phil, and... You know, it's a big change in 12 months. Not everybody has the chance to go through a specialist court, but you did. Uh, how does it feel having had that opportunity and, and seeing the difference that, you know, some positive interventions made for you? I actually liked it. Like, I enjoyed, I like, I like, I like my social worker and everything she did for me. Like, she helped me to get birth certificates. She helped me to get on top of all my fines. She... Helped me with counselling. Um, like I went to one counsellor that I had a, you know, had mm-hmm. a, an appointment with, and that didn't go well. So they're like, instead of just saying, "Well, you know, we tried too bad, so that didn't work out," they said, "All right, um, we'll try you with someone else." Like, and then yeah. that's good to know like that. Yeah. was getting to know the individual so, and the circumstances. It is. Phil, thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's, it's really important. We appreciate your time. Well done, mate. We wish you all the best with your new job. All that, right. Thank you very much. That's Phil now installing cabinets. You know, got himself a home, got a dog, can see his future, Bron. And it's not going to work out like that for everybody. But when you start to look at the specific person and at the individual reasons as to why they may have ended up in the court system in the first place and then trying to stop that cycle, which can often be generational, so that that person doesn't end up in the prison system. Because once you're in the prison system, it's really, really hard. And interesting to to hear Phil say it was the first time anyone had really said, how can we help you? What do you need? This text, my daughter works at Neighbourhood Justice Centre, which we're going to learn more about in just a moment, which is a magistrate's court in Collingwood. They have an amazing network of support services to help with all sorts of problems associated with the legal system. She loves that her job has purpose and continues to help people get back on track. That's from Mm. Sue. So maybe you've been through a specialist court or someone you know and love has been through a specialist court. How did it help? This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Bronwyn O'Shea joining you from ABC Wodonga. We're looking at specialist courts today. Which courts do we have and how and how do they look at people's individual circumstances and how do they help? Well, the director of RMIT Centre for Innovative Justice and the former Attorney General, Rob Hulls, AM. Rob, just listening to Phil's story, I mean, you've been instrumental in changing Victoria's justice system and introducing everything from the Koori Court, the Drug Court, Australia's First Neighbourhoods Justice Centre, which we just heard about. And some people like Phil would have ended up in prison without a specialist court. I guess that's sort of what you were working towards. Uh, yeah, nice to be with you, Michelle and Bronwyn. Um, look, uh, it's not rocket science. Locking people up and warehousing them um, or putting wraparound support services uh, around people and diverting them away from the criminal justice system, um, you know, that's the choice and it's pretty easy. Um, 
uh, jails are very expensive and jailing is failing, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, 90% of women in our jails have themselves been victims of family violence or sexual assault, but we, we lock them up. 42% of men and 33% of women in our jails have an acquired brain injury compared to 2% in the general population, but we lock them up. So um, I've, I, I had a look at some um, international examples when I first became Attorney General and realised that um, I want to create a justice system that could be a positive intervention in people's lives. People's lives will go along a certain track. They'll have their good times. They might get a job with the ABC. You know, they might fall in love. They might get their first car. Then there could be downtimes in their life where there could be a death in the family, could lead to mental health issues, family violence issues, unemployment issues, and then they might hit the justice system. The view I took was at that horrible stage in a person's life, when they hit the justice system, the justice system could either push them further into the mire, as it has done for many, many years for many, many people, or can act as a bit of a trampoline and help bounce their lives back on track. And that's what these therapeutic, holistic, problem-solving courts are about, getting people's lives back on track. It's really flipping the mentality, isn't it, Rob? As, as you said, it's a positive intervention rather than seen as you're going to come up against punishment and, and nothing else. I know way back early in your career, um, you went to Mount Isa and that was a really pivotal point for you in, in sort of igniting this passion to do things differently. Tell us about that. Well, Bronwyn, one of the first things that happened when I got to Mount Isa to do um, Aboriginal legal aid work, I, I remember sitting in the back of the court waiting for my case to come on and it was a, a coronial inquest that was taking place and um, a single vehicle collision car crashed into a tree on an outback track, basically, and the only witness was an old Aboriginal man who was sitting on the side of the road. And I remember as though it was yesterday... He was called into the witness box to give evidence and he slowly walked up to the witness box, his head bowed, he looked very shy, he got into the witness box, he looked around the court, he saw all the white faces, the white face of the coroner and the police officer assisting the coroner and the like, and then in a very soft voice he said, I'll plead guilty. And he hadn't been charged with anything. And mm. and right at that moment, mm. it struck me that we have a culturally insensitive justice system that doesn't take into account a person's background, um, the holistic things that have happened in their lives, uh, trauma that may have happened. This man thought, oh, well, I'm a black man. I'm in a white fella's court. Best way to get out of here is to plead guilty to something. And it was from that moment I realised we had to change our system and have holistic wraparound support for everyone who comes before our courts. I think you're quoted as saying that up until then the justice system it doesn't work properly, it's unjust, it's racist and it's just not suited. We're seeing more specialist courts open up now. So we've mentioned the Koori Court, we know we have the Drug Court, which we're going to speak about a little later as well, the Family Violence Court we're going to touch on. But there's all these other smaller specialist courts. Do you think communities are given enough funding do you think that there is enough support to legal centers to provide the work that they want to provide i mean there's texts here talking about how you know lawyers and barristers particularly in the family court system just make it unobtainable for the average person to be able to access are legal centers given the support that they need do you think to be able to run these specialist courts um, well, to be frank with you, I would I would like every court to be a specialist court. We we know there are some bad people out there that, you know, might need to be locked up for a long period of time. But the majority of people that come into contact with our justice system 
have mental health issues, been victims of family violence, uh, have drug and alcohol issues, homelessness issues, long-term unemployment issues. And unless we address, address those issues in a holistic way, we will just create this revolving prison door where people go in and out of prison and it's so expensive. And so it is important that you invest at the front end. All these courts have been independently assessed, whether it be the Curry Court, the um, assessment and referral court that we heard about, the drug courts, family violence courts, neighbourhood justice centre, which is a one-stop justice shop in Collingwood, where a whole range of support services are offered under the one roof. They've all been independently assessed. And not only do they turn lives around, but they, cost, they save the community money. Each dollar you invest at the front end in these holistic problem-solving approaches, you end up saving when I was Attorney General, I think it was about $6.50 or $10 down the track. It's no doubt more now. And that money uh, can go into early intervention, um, diverting people away from the justice system rather than building more and more prison beds. Yeah. Which well, we're building more prisons. <laughs> and Rob, if that's the, the point, which I think we'd all agree that's a whole lot better, why isn't every court like this? Because you have to plead guilty, don't you, in most cases to end up in a specialist court in the first place. Why, why don't we just have this person-centric approach, individual-centric approach and wraparound support for everybody who interacts with the justice system? Well, many judicial officers that don't sit in these specialist courts, they sit in the mainstream court, do use the um, prospect of judicial monitoring to put wraparound services around uh, people and get them to come back to court and report on a regular basis. So, there, is thera there are therapeutic approaches taking place in mainstream courts as well as the specialist courts. These specialist courts were originally set up as pilots, but I always hope that the lessons that could be learned out of these specialist courts could be mainstreamed into the court system more generally. Because let's be frank, the current adversarial system in many cases is past its use by date and we do need holistic individual support for people to address their specific needs. That's the best way to divert them away from the justice system. It would be incredible to think about money being spent rather than building more prisons as we are out in western parts of Melbourne at the moment to use that money to create specialist courts to try and keep people out of the prisons that they're building. Rob Hulls, thanks so much for your time and for the work that you do as well. The dedication to this is long-lasting, so thank you so much. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks, Bronwyn. The Director of RMIT Centre for Innovation or Innovative Justice, and of course you would know him as the former Attorney General. And this has been Rob Hull's life work. I mean, this yes. is something that he started decades and decades ago. And we are seeing changes. You know, we are seeing smaller courts, but the Koori Court is one, Bron, that is probably one of the more well-known and one of the most successful and one of the, the first that was introduced and um, that's designed to make it easier for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to engage with the criminal justice system. Um, there are about 15 Koori courts across the state now. Emily Yates is a senior solicitor with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, so she's regularly supporting clients through the Koori Court. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. Take us there. What's, what's it actually like inside the Koori Court and how is it different? Yeah, so I think that Koori Court 
naturally um, is a safer and more culturally sensitive space for our clients. Uh, already going in, clients know that the room has been smoked. It displays cultural artwork. It has a possum skin cloak there. There's a round table where everyone is sitting and having a conversation at the table. Uh, there's a different power dynamic there. Whereas in mainstream courts, you've got um, a magistrate sitting up on the bench and a client is normally sitting behind their lawyer and not actually participating in the conversation. Whereas Curry Court offers that um, holistic approach where the client has self-determination and is able to give their story and be heard. And it's less about the lawyer doing all of the talking for them. So it's a very different approach to the mainstream magistrate's court. Even just the dynamics and the physicality of the space is mm. incredible to think about and how you've described that, Emily, as opposed to a judge up high, you know, and you're down yeah. low and being able yeah. to sit around a table because sitting around a table, we all know, even if it's just sitting around a family dinner table or sitting with friends, it's a place for discussion, isn't it? It's where yes. we do our best talking. How have you seen that work? Like, how how does it work better than having kind of a big God-fearing judge looking down on you? Yeah, so I think naturally clients are more, they trust the process a little bit more when they're there. So they're more willing to open up where they've got their elders there for support, who are there also to offer cultural guidance that you don't see in the regular mainstream court. So they already know going in, they've got the support of their elders in a culturally sensitive space. And the elders are there to offer guidance and also hopefully point them in the right direction in terms of the focus being on rehabilitation as opposed to just punishment. So we always speak to our clients before going into Koori Court so they know what to expect. And I think that does help them in knowing what's coming, but also that they get to speak and have their story heard and from their words. And that, I think, really leads to a positive mindset going in and then hopefully leads to a positive mindset leaving court. And I think we've seen a lot of clients not come back after being mm. in Curry Court and lowering the reoffending rate by having that. And I think it's testament to the Curry Court that it started off as just one or two in Victoria and it was so successful that it's now spread across the state with plans to keep expanding and we would love to see it expand into other areas such as bail applications. At the moment it's just a plea in Curry Court um, and a sentencing court but we would love to see it elsewhere and I know other community members would also like to see it because of it being that culturally safe space for our clients and having a lot out of it and the rehabilitation that we've seen I just I, I can't talk highly enough mm. of it um, for our clients it's had a very positive effect. Emily, thank you so much. Emily Yates, Senior Solicitor in Criminal Law Practice with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. So really, isn't it interesting, Rochelle, just that power dynamic in yeah. the room, you know, once you bring people all to the same level. And the fact that there's more and more of them opening up, and we know that First Nations people are overrepresented in our prison system. So you would love to see more Koori courts open up, and not just in Melbourne and in the suburbs, but all around regional Victoria so that they can work with those communities and stop that generational shift as well and keep First Nations people out of prison. Let's head to Shepparton because that was the very first place in Victoria to get a Koori Court 20 years ago and someone who's seen that in action is Yorta Yorta Jaja Warung and Wajabalok man Uncle Rob, uh, Robert or Bobby Nichols who chairs the Hume Regional Aboriginal Justice Advisory Committee. Good morning. Good morning to you. We just heard what a different sort of environment and space that is and to have elders at the table as well. Um, what difference does that make and have you seen that make for people who've come to the, the Koori Court in Shepparton? 
Well, firstly, I'd like to say that yeah, since the in inception of the Koori Court initiatives, now, uh, it was created uh, in response to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Cassidy and its recommendations. There's 300 odd recommendations. And out of those recommendations, uh, I think there's been about 30 odd recommendations carried out. So, yeah. So, Shepparton was one of the first Koori um, uh, courts or models um, um, was set up here in Shepparton. And since its uh, 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 its uh, inception, I suppose it's um, you know uh, it's come a long way. Uh, given the fact is that yeah, you know, Shepparton was the first, and then Warnable mm. was probably the yeah, second one. But then we had, and I was just listening to your previous speaker, um, wanted to have more Quarry Courts throughout the whole of Victoria. Well, I think we've got uh, the majority of the. Uh, states of Victoria is that like we've got an op uh, you know we've got a Cory Court in Burnsdale, Broadmeadows, Dandenong, Geelong, Hamilton, Heidelberg, La Trobe, Melbourne, Mildura, Portland, Sheridan, Swan so Hill, Wangrenner and Warnable, yes. And what makes them so successful? I know that you've said in the past, you know, be having elders sitting around the table, having people that you know and respect that's one of the elements that helps. And you, you know, yourself, Bobby, have said, I would hate to have to sit down next to the, uh, my elders yeah. and justify my actions to them. How important is that part of the process? I think it's very important, but I think I must point out, uh, you know, uh, not only to yourself, but also to your listeners, is that the accused uh, you know, has to be an Aboriginal person and he has to, uh, I suppose, own up to uh, to the uh, or plead guilty, uh, I suppose, in regards to the matters that goes before the court court. So that's one thing. Um, in regards to uh, uh, an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, male or female, um, you know, uh, um, older people and or young people coming before the court courts, I've sat in these court courts and and I've seen how the impact it has on on, on those uh, Aboriginal people going before the courts and the elders and respected elders. And there's nothing worse, I think, than confronting or facing your elders and respected elders as opposed to yeah. going before a, uh, you know, in general, uh, magistrate's court where you know, it's just uh, yourself and the prosecutor and uh, and the magistrate. Whereas in, in the uh, Koori court, you have respected elders and elders sitting around um, along with the magistrate and you know, their lawyers and uh, and the uh, court court uh, uh, workers and as well. They know your family, don't they? They know your school. Yes. Yes. They know those commu all important community connections. Thank you yeah. so much for being with us. Uncle Robert or Bobby Nichols, who is chair of the Hume Regional Aboriginal Justice Advisory Committee, 20 years since the Koori Court first opened in Shepherd in its first location and now, as we've heard, 15 or so locations across the state. On the Conversation Hour today, we are talking about specialist courts like the Koori Court, the Drug Court, the Family Violence Court. How do they work? Who can access them? And do we need more? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. 
Michelle Hunting, Melbourne Bromwood O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. We're looking at specialist courts today. How do they help and how do they keep people out of the prison system? Melissa Hardham is the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of West Justice. And Melissa, you and I have spoken at length on this program in the past about how we actually don't need to build more prisons and yet we are and how we need to keep people out of the prison system. How important are specialist courts in achieving that? Look, very important, uh, Rochelle. I mean, one of the key issues that I, that obviously Rob Hulls has spoken to already and Phil gave his own personal experience about is that a lot of people come before the court with histories. Um, they don't come before the court with perfect childhoods. Um, they've grown up with lots of problems that they've had to deal with, racism and, and exclusion, um, family violence. Um, they might be grappling with a mental health issue or disability. Um, systemic abuse and sexual assault. And so when they come before the court to be dealt with by the court um, in a five-minute hearing with a sentence that follows, you're really not going to be ever able to address the fundamental causes of the problems that brought them before the court in the first instance. Problem-solving courts or specialists and therapeutic courts, as they've become known, um, are ways of actually looking at those causes of the causes and giving that person the time to address those, to rehabilitate, to re-engage... Um, and to move forward as a functional member of society. And that is absolutely critical for three reasons, because it's a much better outcome for the individual. It makes our communities safer because we're enabling that person to live a life they have a reason to value, which is a law-abiding life. And and it also saves the government money that's not going into policing courts and jails. There's a whole lot more time, by the sounds of it, involved in hearing, listening, understanding Mm. and responding to the needs of of each person that comes before these specialist courts particularly. And that, of course, you know, that has to be resourced, Melissa. Um, What would you like to see as far as, you know, adequate funding and and future funding to make sure that this can continue to be successful? I think there's two parts to that. The first is that what we um, at West Justice and a lot of community services and community legal centres Um, are advocating for is better services for early intervention and prevention per se. So getting into support that family at the most earlier stages of when that dysfunction, those problems and those issues are occurring. Short of that, once a person hits the criminal justice system, by enabling services, both legal and the support services that are fundamental to a problem-solving court to be adequately funded, means that that young person's getting access or that person who's interfacing with the problem-solving court gets accesses to those services and can start rebuilding their lives Mm. at that point that they interface with the system. Can people, I mean, how do you access it? If you are someone that has offended and you are guaranteed to be facing some form of the justice system, who gets the opportunity to go before a specialist court? Who doesn't? Is it something where you can... It can be rec- you can recommend it, you know, or ask for it yourself. How does it work? There's a number of referral pathways into these specialist and therapeutic courts. Um, they are limited by certain jurisdictional requirements or certain aspects of um, a person's issues, whether it be mental health or drug related. But this is where I, I echo uh, the comments by Rob Hulls that. Um, really any court could be a problem-solving court. And um, in my view and the view of West Justice and a lot of CLCs and advocates like Rob Hulls is that we could expand this out considerably larger across most of the 
um, justice system and particularly the criminal justice system. So those pathways in are somewhat restricted at the moment. I would like to see that expand out and be offered to a lot more people with a lot of, with, with complex issues. There's a text message here that says, I can see this style of court working with non-Koori young or first-time offenders, but not with clients, in inverted commas, who've chosen to stay in a criminal lifestyle. For example, older drug addicts who steal to deal, etc. Um, the text says, we know they individually would be better out of jail and in a rehab or supported system, but... They damage their family, their friends and strangers without caring. We can be sympathetic, but where do you draw the line? Is that something you think about in your work, Melissa, about where you draw the line and who, who actually would be better off in jail? It's a, it's a commonly asked question and, and uh, I have a history of um, working as a criminal lawyer for many years. So um, I've faced um, many cases where people have come to access services at various stages in their lives and I've worked extensively with people with long-standing drug and alcohol histories and what I would suggest is that there is um, more often than not a juncture or point of someone's life where they do want to change and they do want to make a difference and they do want to move away from offending behaviour and rehabilitate and live a life um, that adds value to society um, and I don't and in my experience it's not just the young people um, and the early engagers in, in drug use that are those that we should be directing our attention because I've had many experiences where very late in life people have decided to turn their lives around and it's really at that point of the decision making that these courts work and I don't think it can be put down to age or how long people have been caught up in the system. Melissa Hardham is with us, Chief Executive Officer of West Justice, as we talk about some of the specialist courts that Victoria offers and what they're delivering. I know the family violence courts are a fairly new introduction mm. to the space, Melissa. What benefits are they providing um, and what long-term you know, benefits are you seeing? Yeah, look, out of the Family Violence Royal Commission, there were recommendations to set up a number of specialist family violence courts across the state. Um, there's, uh, there were five that were initially set up um, and they, the benefit of working with a particular issue or problem that you're trying to solve, like family violence, means you can wrap around um, specialist courts the services that are required to ensure that those problems are addressed and the people are supported effectively. Um, although critical to that is obviously not just the funding for um, the, the capital expenditure and the infrastructure of those courts to exist, but also the services that are then required to make sure that people get access to the legal, social, family violence yeah. services that will support them. And that's the part that often um, and more recently has become problematic because the funding has gone into the physical um, and um, architectural structure of the court, but um, where we're starting to fall behind is we're inadequately funding those services that are critical to the and the long-term services as well. So not it not being a short-term fix. We heard right at the beginning with Phil. You know, he had a year of wraparound services. He had a counsellor once a week, and that's now resulted in him having a, a stable life and something to look forward to. So it has to be long-term and looking at that individual. Melissa Hardham, as always, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. She's the CEO of West Justice. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Bronwyn O'Shea joining you from ABC Wodonga. We're looking at specialist courts today. How do they help? And maybe you or someone that you love has been through a specialist court. This is the Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. We're looking at specialist courts today. We've touched on the Koori Court, which has been established for some time now. We've just spoken about the Family Violence Court and even ARC, which is really specialist again and helping people through the court system that may be living with mental health concerns, that may also have a disability, even dementia. But the Drug Court is another court that I think a lot of people, Bron, would know and how it helps someone that is facing addiction and how that addiction then leads to potentially the crime that they may have committed. How does it help someone reframe their lives and not end up in the prison system? Professor Dan Lubman is from Turning Point. Dan, you would have over the years seen how drug courts operate and how they look at that individual. How important, how beneficial are they to somebody's rehabilitation? Well, thanks so much for inviting me on and thanks so much for this program because I, I think it's a really important conversation that we're having around looking at the health and well-being of, uh, of Victorians and, and how we support them. And certainly we know that addictions, you know, is a health issue. We know because of stigma that many people don't get the help that they need. And that's why, uh, unfortunately, some people end up in front of the court system. And um, when they do present in that way, it's really important that we have responses that uh, put in really evidence-based strategies in terms of helping them to address the underlying addiction and the causes of those addictions so that we can move them away from that court system and get their lives back on track. Dan, does it always mean they don't go to jail or, or is there sometimes, you know, some jail time plus some access to, you know, rehabilitation services and so forth? What's the approach taken in the drug court? So the importance of a drug court is, I mean, and there's a large amount of international evidence on this showing how effective they are. It's essentially a post-sentence program. So it's a sentence where normally you would be sent uh, for a custodial term. But instead of that, that custodial term is um, suspended while you receive uh, treatment through the court system, mm-hmm. through the, the drug court. So it's a very structured system. So people are attending the court weekly. They're having regular drug and alcohol tests throughout the week. They're supported by a whole range of um, counsellors. Um, they get their medical, health, psychiatric uh, drug and alcohol, educational, social needs met. So a very sort of comprehensive, multidisciplinary approach around them to support that person, to understand those drivers of that addiction, to help them treat that addiction, get their uh, feet back on the ground and hopefully leads them on a path that takes them out of the court system. The challenge is that drug courts are not everywhere. There are only a handful mm. in Victoria at the moment. Do you have to live in that catchment area, in that community, to be able to access that service? Yeah, that's a really important point. Uh, at the moment, there's only four uh, drug courts that I'm aware of. Is there Victoria. really? Mm. Wow. Mm. I think they're in Melbourne, Dandenong, Shepparton and Ballarat at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming in terms of how much they help people get their lives back on track. Um, what we see is, is that, you know, I think what's really astounding is if for people going through the regular prison system, only about 10% of people who go through prison system actually receive any treatment while they're in prison for their addiction, you know, which uh, explains the really high rate of recidivism that we see when people are coming out. Uh, What we see here is, is, you know, people addressing the issues that, that have put them in front of the court. And because of that, we see not only does it save, you know, significant amounts of money for the community, 
but it also means that people and their families are supported to get the help they need. We see them um, a huge increase in the amount of people who are employed at the end of the drug court process, uh, that the addictions being treated, they're back on their feet, they're contributing to society. And, and it's a really good news story. It's a story. win-win it's for a, everyone. Just a, finally, Dan, we heard at the beginning Rob Hulls talking about how he would like to see every court almost operate like a specialist court. I mean, you're talking about there only being four drug courts in Victoria. Is there not a way to take the elements of what's successful about a drug court and somehow push that through our, in inverted commas, more traditional court system or even introduce it into the prison system? If that's where the person has ended up because there hasn't been any other options or it hasn't been looked at in a holistic manner, that that support is somehow given to them through the court system or in prison? Absolutely. I mean, I think the problem here is is that we don't treat addiction largely as a health issue. We, we sort of... Uh, it, it's very difficult to navigate the system... Uh, and it's it's you know there's very limited um, options available at times for people that people fall through the gaps and when they get in front of the court system as I said you know most people go through the court system don't receive any treatment for their addiction so I think if we can make addiction a core treatment outcome of people who are going through that system and making sure they get the support they need it's not only going to benefit them but it's going to benefit us all as a community. Professor Dan Lobman, thank you so much for your time from Turning Point. Um, as we talk about specialist courts, including the drug court, this text uh, says, Hi, Rochelle and Bronwyn, I've worked for many years in in the Court Integrated Services Program, CISP, KISP, a four-month case management program for clients on bail, which supports clients to address circumstances that are contributing to their offending behaviour. So a similar model to the ARC court we heard about, but shorter duration, and it's pre-sentence. And this text says, clients generally bailed onto the program as an alternative to remaining in custody on remand prior to sentencing. It's positive progress on the program and in treatment, Mm. and it can impact positively on sentencing outcomes for the client. Another great initiative introduced into the courts in recent years. They're there. We just need to know about them, don't we? And when we spoke to Uncle Bobby before, who was talking about the Koori Court in Shepparton, it's been going for 20 years. He mentioned various other Koori Courts that are dotted all around Victoria. And Charlie's actually called from Bairnsdale, and you're a Koori Court officer in Bairnsdale, Charlie. Welcome. Oh, good day. Yeah, good, thanks. What's important? Tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah, so, um, so I've been down here for, um, been doing Koori Court here for about 40 years now, and um, it's just fantastic. It's, it's such a, a wonderful um, opportunity for people who want to um, participate in Koori Court and come before the elders and, and the magistrate. And like Uncle Bobby was saying and, and that before, um, it, we have a cultural conversation uh, around so basically the the one of the real foundations of the Koori court is to look at the um the offending is one bit but we want to look at the underlying issues and that's what we concentrate on so we look at the underlying issues mm. and that have caused the offending and that's what um the elders and that <clears throat> um what we address and discuss mostly it's um the the magistrate when he uh runs the Koori Court. He has to, each of the magistrates that run Koori Court, they actually have specialist training. They have to be trained and uh, in, in running the Koori Court. And and uh, and 
yeah, and then I just sort of help facilitate it. And, um, That's great. and when people, yeah, and when people come in, we, we don't call them clients. Or, I never call them clients or, or the offender um, or the accused. I, um, I use the word participant. And so we, oh, we have yeah. we have we have participants. So people come and they participate. And that's when a they, great reframing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I also had this little. You know, we have to be peddlers of hope. That's my little peddlers of hope. I love that. Yeah, and um, and people because they have to plead guilty to come into Corey Court. What they're sort of saying is that they they're really taking ownership of their situation, and they want to say, "I want to move on, and I want to bring this before the elders." and and like, yeah, the elders all, they know the families and and it's just wonderful hearing the, the, the conversations that they have. And it works, Charlie. I mean, it's really easy. Yes. Maybe it's just me, but it's really easy to be sceptical of a lot of systems yep. and to be sceptical of the justice system or what's yep. helping and, and where people's motivations are coming from. I mean, you work in the system and you're working with local First Nations people in the Gippsland area. Are mm. you, I mean, you must be proud. This system works. Oh yeah, and you and you see it, you know, and because you, especially you know, if you're living in a town like Bairnsdale or any sort of country town, and that you, you're always going to run into people that have come through, you know, in your shopping, your day to day, and people come up to you and they just say, oh, you know, I've just got a job and I'm doing this, and you know, you just being a part of people's journey is. Um, is really a privilege and a real honour, you know. Oh, good on you, Charlie. They they sound like they're lucky to have you as well and someone that listens and to be able to have that person with you the entire time and support you, you know, like participants. I love that. And what is that? Peddlers of hope. Peddlers of hope, yeah. And isn't it interesting? I I think what what I realise here is that this is a community approach to caring for people and and helping them not re-offend rather than sort of, you've you've done the wrong thing off you go and it'll be dealt with you know somewhere else it's really saying we can all be part of helping you get back on track and that's what um i think is really interesting about that greg denham is a former member of victoria police and now a board member of harm reduction australia welcome to the conversation hour thank you thanks I guess we're, it, it really all does come down to um, harm reduction, doesn't it? Because we're trying to make sure that people get out of a bad situation and, and create a, a bit of a different path and future for themselves. How important are specialist courts in helping achieve that? Oh, look, they are very important, of course, because they do look into the underpinning or the underlying issues that are driving um, driving a person's um, criminal behaviour. And, uh, and there are programs, of course, that... Um, I do um, identify these issues before a person even gets to court. So, and there have been a number of diversion programs implemented across Australia over the last 25 years around drugs that involve police also um, intervening early and particularly in terms of assessment and treatment programs. So mm. I think if we can uh, look at different ways in which we can identify the, as I said, the, the drivers of crime, um, I think we can go a long way to... Um, assisting a person and providing them with the services that will help um, help them get their lives, uh, I guess, in order or back in order and, and provide some, some direction for the future. And understanding order. how they ended up there. I mean, there's a, a text here from Jane and it says, my niece, who was a chronic alcoholic, is due to attend court tomorrow and she probably won't turn up and she'll probably end up in jail, which is just so sad because she doesn't need to be punished. She needs help. And health, health is now just so precarious. And, you know, Jane's concern for her niece she wouldn't be alone the, the reasons mm. as to why people end up in jail when in actual fact 
they need help and they need services yeah. and they need connection and that's the trickiest bit. I mean, you would have seen specialist courts work, but then at the same time, how much does that person want to be helped? So if Jane's niece, for example, if even if it was a specialist court, maybe she still wouldn't show up. Of course, that's look, that's the number one rule, isn't it? That um, a person um, can't get help unless they actually want to get help themselves. But I also know that early intervention uh, is the approach that we need to adopt. We, we can't wait till a person gets to that point where... Uh, you know, they, that person was pointing out about the the, the person who's got chronic um, dependency around alcohol. We can't wait until, you know, they're part of the court system, part of the criminal justice system and into the jail system to to necessarily um, expect, you know, there's there to be miracles occurring because we need to intervene early. And a lot of that is about um, programs that, you know, identify particularly young people who are vulnerable mm. at risk lack of connectedness to the community, people who are dropping out of school early, who have a lot of risk-taking behaviours, who come into contact with police. And police are often in a good position to provide some guidance, whether it's a caution or a diversion program. Uh, and there are some really good examples of how police and youth workers are now working together in a lot of suburbs, identifying those kids that are most at risk. And a lot of that is to do with substance misuse. So, you know, early intervention is the way to go with a lot of these different types of programs. Yeah. it's um, There's a text here that says, Hi, my son went through the ARC court in 2019. It was the most amazing experience for us both. He has an ABI, so an, an acquired brain injury, and was on the recidivism treadmill. And his lawyer investigated the possibility Possibility of ARC for him. He undertook the 12-month program uh, and it was the turning point in his life. He's now 53, doing well, enjoying life. The whole team of counsellors he had behind him was so supportive. It's a great program. If you put in the work as he did, you will reap the benefits. Look, I think it's fantastic that families are able to actually have an open and honest discussion with yeah. young people about drugs and their alcohol. Um, and it removes a lot of the stigma and discrimination that's a huge barrier to people accessing treatment and help. If we can, uh, I guess, have an honest conversation about um, drug misuse, alcohol misuse, we will find more people willing to talk about their issues. As a police officer, a former police officer, is it something that was respected? Is it something that people at police officers thought this is actually where they need to go and this is the help that they need? And do first responders like police officers need better training and awareness of specialist court systems? Yeah, look, I think that's really important. I think the, as far as the drug diversion courts were concerned initially and the drug diversion program, that Victoria Police introduced in the late 90s, there was some resistance amongst police because they did see it as a bit of a soft option. So, but explaining uh, what, um, I guess, what drug addiction is and why people don't necessarily change mm. if they get arrested and that there's a need for treatment. That sort of treat, that sort of um, education programs is, is quite vital for police because they will only deal with people usually at their worst when it comes to their drug and alcohol taking. So they see the very negative problematic side of things but when it's explained to them about what treatment does and how it's yeah. beneficial to people then they get supportive as well about and it's that. just and reframing what justice looks like i mean you mentioned you know the word there that we used to hear a lot which is that soft approach and that we need to be hard on crime and where has that gotten us as a society and yes sometimes that is the case of course we know and accept that but a lot of the times it isn't greg we really appreciate your insights thank you so much thank you Greg Denham, he's a former member of Victoria Police and now a board member of Harm Reduction Australia.
Today was fascinating to learn how we help people and how mm. we stop that cycle and how we give people the best chance to a successful life and to a healthy life. And I think it is sad to think that sometimes people don't get to receive the support um, that they need and the services they need until they are um, up against the justice system and that's the first time they're getting the mental health or um, or drug support they need. And then people like Charlie from Bansdale ring in and you just feel like everything in the world is okay because you're... Headless of like hope. Headless <laughs> of hope <laughs> out there helping people.